This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Hey, Tuan, how are you, man? I'm good, how are you? Good, 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 good. So the last time we met was in LA, 2017. It's been uh, four fast years. Yeah, What What fast. have you been up to? Uh, that's a super, super big question to answer because so much has happened just this year alone, right? Tell, tell me about tell me about how COVID has, uh, how you guys have worked throughout this year in COVID. Yeah, I think uh, it's, um, it's a plus and a minus. Um, obviously, Vietnam has taken it much better than any other country. We, I think we went to lockdown for three weeks. And then after that, it's been just social distancing. Uh, and there's no uh, nationwide lockdown, you know? So in terms of businesses, we rebounded really fast. Um, but for the businesses that depend on uh, tourists, uh, we're still hit, right? So that kind of, it's, it's a plus in a sense that, you know, we are much better off than we would be anywhere else. Uh, the minus obviously still affect a lot of people you know, with my friends and family across, uh, business partners who are outside of Vietnam, and then even customers who are outside of Vietnam, right? So COVID has been uh, kind of like that for us. It's kind of gray for us. Yeah. yeah. What exactly do you do at the, uh, at the lab? Can you tell me? Yeah, so the lab is a design studio. I'm a co-founder and creative director at the lab. Uh, the lab does uh, branding, uh, interior, communication, emerging media, like, for example, uh, augmented reality. You know, we'll do, like, Instagram filters. We'll try some augmented reality with uh, communications, um, digital work, things like that. What I do there is uh, kind of difficult, even though I'm a creative director. Most of the time, I just <laughs> look at people's work and kind of feedback. I don't actually, you know because there's so many things happening at the same time, I don't say do this or do this. Most of the time I say, oh, this works because, and this doesn't work because. Um, so I'm more like a, I would say like a, like I'm a sounding board for, for my team. Yeah. How did you get into that work? How did you get into the work in Vietnam? Um, I came back to Vietnam in 2010 to, uh, to work in advertising. I was a copywriter by trade. So, you know, like writing uh, advertising copy, yeah. like let's do it. <clears throat> um, and then a year after I was recruited to Dubai, uh, I worked there for two years and I came back in 2013 to open a business, uh, which was a cafe. So I actually wanted to open a cafe and just run a cafe for the rest of my life <laughs> at, you know, at 27. 
what, what inspired that? Why did you want to open up a cafe in <clears throat> Vietnam? Partly because of my previous job at the time, which is um, my work at, at uh, in Dubai. Uh, it was great company, you know, it was cool and everything. I love my colleagues, but I just hated the industry, you know. I don't know how familiar you are with advertising, but the the, the crunch time was crazy, you know, like uh, late nights and, and, and weekends. And most of the time, you know, you are producing something that most people would ignore. Right. You know, people hate advertising. Uh, and so I, I didn't really like the, the work I was doing. And so my girlfriend at the time and I um, decided to take all of our savings and uh, open a cafe in Vietnam because, you know, I'm Vietnamese and it was, the country was growing. Yeah. How did that do? Uh, we closed down in 2017. Okay. So you, you had a good run. How many years yeah. was that? Four, four, four years. years. Four years. Yeah. yeah. Probably learned a lot from those four years, right? Working in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's... it wasn't even the only failed businesses uh, either. We we failed a lot more. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Because four years in any business is a long time. One year is, you know, it's a good hang time. I mean, after eight months or six months, I've had businesses brick and mortar, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of those, right? It, yeah. You know, they, they can go for um, six months and you're like, all right, this is not going to work. And you just shut it down. So to yeah. go for four years is is uh, is a big feat. What? So during those four years, you probably started other things, right? Um, yeah. It just wasn't that okay. So then you go, you open up in two thousand thirteen. You you get to Vietnam. You open up a cafe, and then what happens as you are operating in the cafe? Yeah. So I opened a, actually a co working cafe. So it was meant for people, you know, like freelancers and digital nomads. So I ran that for about nine months, and then a, um, a customer came through. That customer just so happens to be the CEO of AIA, um, which is one of the world's biggest life insurance company. I think it's number two by market cap, it's based out of Hong Kong. It's an offshoot of AIG, which went bust a while ago. So anyways, it's a huge ass company. Mm -hmm. um, he actually loved the cafe and he came back um, or he tried to contact me again to ask me to design for one of his new initiative at AIA, which is a cafe that also sells insurance. So that, that concept has now evolved, but basically that's how I got into the design game. He liked what we were doing. He wanted us to do exactly the same for him. And from that, we designed his space. We built a team. From that, we got new clients. And now it's been my main business since uh, 2015. Isn't that crazy how things work out like that in life? Yeah. I it's mean, pretty nuts. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. You, you know, yeah. you have a cafe, then you have this. I, you, I mean, it's not even your idea. You have this like yeah. person who just randomly rose in. Yeah. And uh, so, where was that? Where was that concept carried out of? Uh, it's become Ness. I don't know if you've um, been there or heard about it, but it's basically a financial hub, but also serves a cafe. Think of it as an Apple Store that has a coffee shop inside. I've been there. Uh, but uh, more finances, yeah. So it's in Bitexco. Uh, we opened another one in Vincom, Hanoi. And then uh, lately, uh, one in the Southeast Asia's second tallest tower, Landmark 81. Um, so there's three so far. And uh, we've been their partner since day one. We also run the cafe. You know, they run the financial services hub. We run the cafe. That works out really well. Good synergy there. So yeah. when you were growing up, um, where did you grow up? I'm sorry. 
Uh, I was born in Da Nang, but I grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay, so when you were growing up in LA, did mm. you think, okay, one day I'm going to get back to Vietnam? Or what, what was going through your mind <laughs> growing up in LA? Hell no. <laughs> At that time, like, you know, in the early 90s, you know, if you go back to Vietnam, it's just like third world country, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people there, whenever you come back from America, they're like, oh my God, you know, save me or whatever. Um, it was a different. It was a different world, you know. It's it's my country, and I love it. And you know, I love the food and have family. But I never thought, oh, I could see myself here in twenty years, right? It's always like, okay, I'm gonna grow up in LA, you know, own a restaurant like my parents or whatever, you know. Yeah. So you go to school in LA, and then you go back in 2010, and then you open up a cafe in 2013. So that wasn't part of your plan of what you wanted to do with your life. Nope. At- in 2010, the reason I moved back wasn't really because of work. It was because of a girl that I met. So I met that girl and I wanted to be around her. So I took an internship to come back to Vietnam. That internship became the full-time job, which led me down to this path. Wow. Yeah. So as you work in this cafe, you work with AIA, you develop this sort of scope of a business that comes to you, right? What are the yeah. range of projects that you are now doing? Or actually, can you take me back to the range of projects that slowly get to where you are today? Yeah. So obviously, first it was the cafe, the F&B side, right? And for a little bit, the co-working side as well. And that exposed me to a lot of different people who are coming through with a lot of their own ideas. Um, so one of them, it's gonna affect my life later in about a few years. But uh, so I'll get back to the food and beverage for now. After that, it was the design side, right? So the lab. And through design, we are able to work with a lot of different um, clients who also offer us a share in their business in exchange for design fee. So sometimes, you know, they can't afford our fee. So we'll take a cut of their business. And that happened uh, in two uh, situations. So one is Anan, which is a, quite a hot restaurant a few years back. Have you been there, Anan Saigon? So we took a 15%, no, 12.5% share in the business uh, in return for our design fee as well. Uh, and then that, that investment kind of grew a bit, so that's nice. Uh, and the other being uh, Ness, we also took a share in the cafe. So, you know, we own three cafes based on a client work. Um, and then one of the contact that I mentioned from the co-working space was Guy. So he had this idea for a website, which we designed and named uh, and called it Vicetra. So that has also grown uh, in its own right. So like through our chance meeting at um, that co-working space, a lot of these different opportunities opened up wow. to us. Yeah. And so now we are in creative services. We are in uh, F&B and hospitality. Uh, and then we're also in uh, some media stuff. Why do you think people came to the cafe? Because, I mean, there's a thousand cafes <laughs> yeah. in Vietnam, right? Every yeah. corner has, you know, a cafe. And then the streets, the alleys, there's cafes everywhere. Why do yeah. you think the opportunities came to you at your cafe? I don't know why it came to me personally, but I think that the co-working cafe at the time had um, two things going for it. One was that co-working was booming, mm. right? The internet, the digital nomads, the freelancer movement, all that stuff, the co-working space movement, 
all that stuff predated WeWork. And, um, you know, the cafe being one of the first in, in Vietnam, in Saigon, one of the first, uh, you know, it blew up with that, right? If you wanted to work in a co-working space, you only had Saigon Hub at the time, which was very corporate. And then you had Work Saigon, which is our space, which is a bit more creative and things like that. So we had the co-working movement going for us. And the other thing is that Laura and I, my, my girlfriend at the time, um, we are there constantly. You know, we are two expats running a cafe in a little French villa. It's very, um, it's kind of romantic. Uh, and we, we got a lot of media mention because of that. You know, two people who left their high paying jobs in Dubai. One is white, one is Vietnamese coming back to Vietnam in a French villa. That's a story that a lot of um, local media ran with. Right, it was a very charming place. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I loved going there and, you know, <laughs> friends of ours, we, we'd go there and we work. Yeah. But how did you understand the business side of all of this when, you know, you're coming out of a nine to five corporate sounded like, how did you pick up the skill set to kind of take up the opportunity to, to develop what you've developed? Yeah. For the co-working space, we, we had a resource called um, How to Run a Coffee Shop for Dummies. <laughs> so it was these, uh, this book, this yellow book uh, that we bought. And then we just read through it. Uh, and then worked on a business plan for about six months before we quit our job. Um, so you, we thought we knew everything about running a coffee shop, right? Through that book and through the business plan. And then, you know, three months later, we were running through our jackets looking for money. You know, we ran out of money uh, three months in. We Thank took you. a loan. Yeah, we took a family loan that lasted us until the um, uh, we met the CEO of AI. So that's why when people ask me, I was just like, dude, I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> that's insane to, to think, think that it's you, luck, man. that's what I'm hearing. You know, a lot of the, the, the sit downs that I have with my friends and with people that are making it in business or just, you know, in art or whatever, a lot of people come across this very lucky situation. Yeah. Because again, we'll go back to a thousand million cafes in Vietnam. Yeah. And what is it about your cafe that, you know, brought this opportunity for you, you know? Yeah. But it could have easily gone the other way because, right. you know, like I said, we've, we've had five businesses and two, uh, yeah, two of them have failed. Right? It cost us a lot of money. So it's like that the two that failed could have been the first two and we would have been done. But it just so happens to be the third and the fourth. And so we were, you know, successful two, three times already, you know? Yeah. So like I said, it's just dumb, you know, luck. Do you consider yourself more strong as a creative or as a business person? Mm, I was a creative for sure. Yeah. I went to business school, but um, I think I'm much more, I'm much better at being creative. Yeah. That, that probably helps out a lot, you know, having that business uh, background as a, um, as a backbone for you, right? Yeah. You can make a lot of good decisions as yeah. a creative from, from business perspective that helps. Yeah, you, you're a bit more sober when you think about creative, right? You're not just like trying to like, like masturbate in terms of creativity. Yeah. Yep, you're, yep, thinking good, you're thinking business, you're thinking- Very good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, very good analogy. What, um, in, in terms of like, going from, okay, AIA, and then the next thing that you do, 
what was on the horizon? Like, did you have a plan for that? Or like things just popped up again, just like the AIA uh, guy? Uh, starting when? Starting from AIA? Or yeah, when? right after AIA, right after you put up uh, the nest. Yeah. Yeah, I think immediately um, after AIA accepted our offer, like the, our proposal, I thought, man, this could be something. Right? Because I had, remember, I've been working in uh, advertising for a while. So I know how to make a creative proposal. Um, I know how to use creativity in service of business. Right? So I thought, damn, this could be something, you know. So, so right after they accepted the proposal, um, I think it was only a few weeks later that we uh, asked the girl, the freelancer, to stay with us full time to build the team. Uh, so from then, yeah, we just, you know, from two people went to three, to four, to five. Right now we're at 30. What, 30? Yeah. When in your heart did you know that you're going to be in Vietnam for a while? Like you're going to stay? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We we were just talking about this. Yeah. When 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 in the when in the process in your heart did you know? Okay, I'm gonna be here for a long time. Like I'm gonna spend probably the rest of my life here now. Maybe not the rest of my life, but 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 uh, about as a, a year and a half ago. Before that, you know, I was still thinking, is this my last adventure? Blah blah blah. But I think a year and a half ago, things start to um, to change. Like I was thinking about uh, like I proposed to my girlfriend. Uh, and then I think about kids and family and yeah. stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I don't want to build, start over, build my network again, build my business again somewhere else. You know? Yeah. I mean, I got to say, when I was there um, at the uh, co-working space in, in Saigon yeah. in the early years, I mean, I, and I keep asking you about, um, I keep asking you about like how, did, how you knew, but when I was... I keep asking you about, um, you know, a thousand, a million coffee shops, but I knew, right? Like, and I know people know, like when you walk into that space, it was just a very special place, yeah. right? And so then I go to other properties that you've done and I could see the vibe. I could see the transition mm. um, and you can see sort of like the trend line mm. in Vietnam that mm. I feel like a lot of companies have followed you. And that's why we're talking right now. Cause that's, mm. that was my feel. That's my whole outlook about the work that yeah. you've done. Yeah. I feel like people have really, um, the spaces that you've designed, um, mm. you know, you probably had, you know, I don't know if you had any idea that it would really go and blow up. Mm. And now you have 30, 30 people working for you. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, pretend that I say I saw it coming, but I do, yeah. I am definitely not surprised. What, yeah. what do you think, um, where do you think you're gonna be taking this uh, in the next 10 years um, being in Vietnam? I think the, like I have a couple of guesses. Um, the, the truth is I don't know, um, but you know, as I've always done, I work with the information I have, and I think I have some guests where I can take this this thing. Uh, recently, I've been finding it quite hard to put my finger on the pulse of where culture is going to be in terms of design culture, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as opposed to back then, six years ago, where it was very kind of like, there wasn't any design, right? Anything you do with of any quality, it will make a splash, Right now, there's people doing cool shit left and right. Right. Everything you do is like a little drop in a bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So it's getting much harder kind of than much it was. Much more long. competitive. Yeah. yeah. 
to yeah because when you you arrived on the scene it was it was very fresh yeah exactly the, the places that you designed were very fresh can you describe the style that um that's in your mm -hmm. designs uh, it depends. It depends on the brief, actually. We are actually very strategic. So a lot of people that look at the end product, let's say of a design or a branding, uh, and they'll think, oh, it looks cool. But for us, like the, the business strategy is super important. So for example, Nest, at the time it was doing the Scandinavian stuff that um, Vietnam hasn't seen. But for me, it was a conscious effort to be on the opposite side of Luzine. If you remember Luzine at the time was really hot, and they use reclaimed wood, so very dark, old wood. And for us, we want it to be the polar opposite, right? So that's why we arrive at Scandinavian Japanese. So it was very strategic. And the same with everything that we do here. Um, so bunker, which rest in peace, <laughs> mm -hmm. it was also a, a strategic decision to go against all of the, you know, super minimal, super japanese uh, design at the time. So for us, everything is a response to something. Yeah. Bunker was like a little bit more splashier. Yeah, and Bunker is like more LA. Yeah, it's like something that an immigrant would do it if they knew how to do something. What? So, what's your aesthetic now? I mean, what you are? What are you guys moving towards now? What What are you responding? Right what are you right responding now, to now? Right now, I'm preaching this thing called casual creativity. Okay. Um. So what it means is like I feel like there's a lot of design that are an expression of the designer. So, you know, I like this, so that's why it's like that. And then the person who suffers either the business owner who has no idea why his business is like this mm. or the customer who was like, damn, this chair is uncomfortable as hell. It looks cool, but it's uncomfortable as hell. So for me, casual creativity is like, get your ego out the door. This, this is what people like. This is comfortable. This is human. That's what you should do, you know? Like for example, in our office, there are plants everywhere. Now we could have designed, you know, special like facade where all the these other um, other trees look perfect and stuff like that. But it doesn't look human. It doesn't look like something that you would have in a garden. So casual creativity is we take all of these plants, we put them in nice little pots, and then we lay it out as if a person this is their garden. Right. Where'd you get that concept oh, from? It's uh, probably an, an evolution from bunker. <laughs> Just casual stuff. This Wait, is our so, LA so this upbringing. Is, you came up with this concept. I mean, I'm sure I didn't come up with a concept, but calling it casual creativity might be my poor choice of word. Now, do you find yourself doing more projects for yourself now? Or are you, what's the ratio sort of like what you do for mm -hmm. clients and then what you actually invest for your own properties yeah. that you guys develop? Yeah, so at the lab, we're running a lot of projects. I'm only one of 30 people here. So uh, the projects that I personally get involved in are projects that are either my own, like things that I own and, and invest in, or projects that I find um, personally uh, rewarding. For example, NGOs or, or uh, like I do a lot of work on HIV awareness. So that's the kind of stuff that I personally get involved in. In terms of work that I get involved in as a creative director is everything. Everything that my team does, I have to see. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Every everything that goes out the door will have to be on the desk first. That's a lot of work. But it's not like I it's not like I, you know, like I kill ideas or whatever. I just, oh, you should do this, we should do this. So you sort of put your aesthetic imprint on whatever comes out. I'm sure there are some, you know, like some taste adjustments, 
but um, a lot of times I, I would trust the team. So growing up, um, you know, my, my family, we've gone through a lot of small business ventures. And I remember growing up and kind of, you know, when we got to college, we started to understand this idea of logos and branding. How much of that did you have to convince clients in Vietnam when you arrived? And even to today, I mean, what's, is, is there like an evolution of branding exercises and the, you know, a lot of people look at briefs and they're like, what the hell is this for? Right. <laughs> so what kind of evolution are we looking at when you got there and to where people are today? Mm. I think the market has evolved a lot. And with that, you see a huge gap. There are always going to be people who don't understand the value of branding. So like they don't want to invest in it. Right? That's fine. And there's always going to be those people and you cannot change them. But there are people who understand the market is very competitive. There are local brands going up. There are foreign brands coming in. I need to invest in branding the same way I invest in everything else, mm -hmm. in talent, blah, blah, blah. So there's that huge divide. And thankfully, we have self-filtered ourselves into this area where if you like branding, if you think branding has value, you're already going to the rice, to the labs, you know, right. to that kind of people. So we don't really deal with these guys anyways. Yeah. Got it. That's a great answer. Yeah, so you, it's just by process of sort of where you're positioned in the industry, you don't have to really worry about yeah. explaining that to investors or. Yeah, people. if you're looking at a freelancer versus the lab, you, you were never going to have that people, you know? Yeah, you're looking only at clients who are looking at the lab or Rice or somebody else, you know? And they already know that, okay, it's going to cost this much, it's going to take this long, and it's going to bring me this much value, you know? Yeah, yeah. how do you quantify yeah. that? I don't, is that a question that I can ask? Part yeah, of like a moron when it comes, I, I don't mean money dollar wise, but I mean, how do you quantify a branding exercise? Mm. I think there are a couple, actually, there's a couple of methods to do it. Right? One is you count your man hours and you can quantify based on your costs of producing that value, right? Uh, you can quantify based on expected return. So for example, if I built this restaurant and in the first three months, it makes this much money, I want this much of it, you know? So it's based on what you would bring to it. If the restaurant fails at the launch, then you don't make a lot of money because your branding sucks, you know, for example. So, so one is a cost basis or one is a value basis. In between that, it's just negotiation. Yeah. That's a great answer. Great answer. What are you working on now for your own portfolio? Uh, so we just launched a, a pastry shop called Bakes. Um, and... Uh, Part of my time, I'd say like one fourth of it is growing that uh, business, uh, getting it into supermarkets, um, the products, uh, opening new uh, branches, and also collaborating with uh, partners. How did you get into that uh, specific niche? <laughs> That's another crazy shit. So the cafe needed pastries, right? And we were actually, we were actually like outsourcing it. And we're like, man, these people suck. <laughs> Wait, why did they suck? Because yeah. the product was like shitty or what? what yeah, what you know, it was price driven, right? So they wanted to do cheap, fast things that they can mass produce. Um, but, you know, the nature of the cafe is that we wanted to offer like a creative experience and all that. And we needed the, the pastries to back that up. And so we just ended up hiring like, you know, really top uh, pastry chefs, you know, for them, yeah. blue people who came back from France. Just pay them and, you know create a brand, uh, supply our own cafes first, and then other people ask for those pastries, and then we open a, a brand called Lakes. 
to service. So random. So it's just one thing leads to another, you know? Yeah. So random. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's amazing to hear it. I mean, um, so many businesses sort of evolve into these sort of things that, you know, the, the, the owners don't plan in ahead of, of you know, yeah. the birth of their businesses. Yeah. That's not to say this is the right way to do it. You should probably plan. Yeah. But I mean, you said bake, right? That's the name. The Bakes. Have you, have you opened it up yet? Yeah. So we opened a flagship in, um, in uh, Turtle Lake, you know, in D1 next to the cathedral. Okay. Um, but before that we've had pop-ups in uh, Takeshimaya, Zagon Center. We've been selling online for five years now. Um, so we've had a fan base already that orders delivery. It just so happens now that we have a brick and mortar. Got it. And how is it doing? During COVID. During COVID. Wow. Yeah. And during COVID, um, has the online orders gone up? It went up, yeah, by a lot. Yeah, it's strange, right? Like you, mm. things that you just, uh, you know, in the interior design business, that I noticed that, you know, um, there's an uptick in that sector. You know, things that we didn't, I mean, we've been doing fine, you know, our factory yeah. uh, producing window coverings on my family yeah. side. I remember. It, it almost doubled this year, you know. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, and on our food side, it, it died completely, you know, because yeah. we're outdoor events and we're big festival. Yeah. Um, my wife and I do, you know, the, the festival world. And that that just died. It uh, yeah. non-existent. It's tough. It's, it's tough right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, even so in the States, right? Like even more so in the States. In Vietnam, at least we recovered fast, but you guys yeah. took a big hit. Do you keep in touch with uh, your family and, and people in the States a bit? Yeah, at the start of the pandemic, you know, we would have more regular calls. Right now, it's kind of like the new normal. You know, this is like their life now. So we don't catch up as often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like still once a day, at least just messages. Do they tell you what it's like here in the States? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, an addict with news. Like I follow politics like crazy. Like oh, this yeah. morning, they like the college, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm an addict to Apple News. Yeah, and my brother is an addict as well. Like, uh, yeah. he's a political junkie. What, what do you yeah. think of all of it? Um, about what the the, the the election or? Yeah, the whole the whole election, the whole COVID. What do you think of the U.S. right now from Vietnam? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm so torn. Because uh, I mean, I don't mind telling you this, but you know, I'm a, I was a big Hillary supporter, right? Uh, and before that, Obama supporter, and then you know, like when Trump won, I was depressed for two, three uh, mm -hmm. days. You know, uh, my bunker business, I said like, Americans get a free beer because I just needed to drink with somebody yeah. to, who understood. But you know, as it went on, I started to be okay with Trump mm -hmm. in terms of policies, right? His rhetoric, we all hate it. In terms of policies, like my family, of course, you know, being Vietnamese and they're very anti-Chinese uh, government, right? So in terms of that, they were very supportive. And also, you know, I have a little bit of a stock portfolio in the States and the stocks were going up. And I'm like, okay, you know, kind of nice. Uh, and then Biden came and again, I'm a Biden supporter. Um, so I'm glad he won. But this whole election um, uh, fraud business that Trump is, is talking about is kind of depressed the shit out of me. Yeah. Because, you know, I love the States and I want it to be strong. And, you know, like the way it was when I was in the 90s, right? When I yeah. Grew up. 
democracy, the way it's um, the way we have faith in the system is a is a thing. It's a real it's a real thing. And when you fuck yeah. with that, it just it goes haywire. You know, yeah. you shake yeah. the foundation of that trust, and it's just um, it's scary, man. Scary. It really is. That's a the, the perfect word for it. Um, it's stories, right? And yeah. That leads me to the next question, stories. Um, you know, do you work with a lot of stories in your creative process? Do you, um, you know, you have to hear where people, your clients or your, your potential customers come from and you have yeah. to translate it into a vision. Like how much of story do you use in your, your uh, creative work? Mm, I would say like 99% of the time. Yeah. It's exactly what you said, translating the story that's in their head to the story that is on the branding or in the interior design, right? And that's probably 99% of my work. Um, and I do that quite um, decently because I was a copywriter. So basically I'm taking brand stories and translating it to an ad, right? And so I'm actually well-equipped to do this work. That 1% is um, just a little hedge against people getting bored of brand stories. <laughs> because a lot of times it's very obvious what the brand is trying to manipulate you into feeling. And so that 1%, I try to throw a wrench in, in it just to, to shake it up a bit. Otherwise it becomes How do you Disney. do that? Uh, you try not to be Disneyland, right? For example, let's say this guy wants to be uh, a French restaurant. And what you don't want is to recreate little Paris, you know, a little Eiffel Tower in the yeah. pink. Yeah, that tells a brand story, but it sucks and it's cliche and people know what you're trying to do. So you're trying to find that 1% is okay. Is there a story about brands that we haven't told, you know? So that's the 1%. Yeah, a new take, yeah. a fresh angle. Yeah. Yeah, you try to find that fresh angle. And that's hard. That's a very hard thing. I mean, in film, music, yeah. in everything that we consume today, it's a very hard thing to do is to, um, to find that fresh, angle and when you do find it um in design i think that's kind of like where the sweet spot is for people who do who live in the creative space like you you know yeah. um five years ago six years ago when you know we you know my friends and i would go out to places that we knew that you were part of we could feel mm. we could feel that fresh and now i'm starting to see it now talking yeah. to you, now i know why yeah, if you look at, just take um, uh, specialty coffee, right? Back in the day when specialty coffee like came into the scene, it feels cool and fresh. And you can understand that these guys are uh, artisans that are like roasting their own beans and all that stuff. But now it's just like, it's that same story told over and over. And you feel like every, every specialty coffee shop is trying to sell you the same aesthetic, you know, or the same story. And you get tired of that. And so that 1% is actually very, very hard. Yes, you're selling specialty coffee, but is there a story that people haven't heard, you know? And so, is that something, yeah. is that a directive that you sort of tell your, the people that work for you? Or oh yeah, you, for sure. Yeah, 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 go ahead. So you're like, we have a directive for you. We need to find that 1% fresh angle. I mean, is that something you tell your people that, that work? Uh, not, I don't use the phrase 1%, but we use the phrase, don't be Disneyland here a lot. So a lot of times the, the client will come and say, okay, we're inspired by uh, royal time. You know, what you don't want to do is try to recreate the palace in a space because that's Disneyland, right? 
gonna be cheap yeah. shit. You know, trying to look expensive. Um, what is it about, you know, a royal Thai palace? You know, is there something in the culture that we can borrow and and try to tell that story? Yeah, um, I'm looking at my um, the the yeah I, to go back on this whole idea. Yeah, because I wanted to actually hit something, um, and it's actually written out the way. <laughs> the way I wrote it down in the notes. I wanted to get specific about it. Is um, I wrote uh, something that that I saw on social media recently. You said this cocktail lounge project is an exercise in detail and storytelling. Each yeah. item is meticulously designed and crafted to evoke the taste of the times. Yeah. This post from the lab um, stood out because of its you know direct proximity to the story. Mm. And you know, my question was, how does that dictate the story? You know, and. It, it mm. seems like it's built in. Where did you learn that? Where did you begin to understand that story has something to do with the identity directly mm. of the projects that you're working with? Yeah, I started uh, when I worked in advertising. Uh, brand story is a huge thing. What is that brand story? And then how do you tell that on a medium? Like the story of Nike. Nike has a phrase, internal phrase called, if you have a body, you're an athlete. So that is Nike's story and it's told through so many different ad campaigns, right? So for us, we've been trained to find that brand story and then try to find different ways to communicate that story. Mm. Uh, so it's been ingrained in me ever since, you know, I went to school for advertising and, and then later practice it for a few years. So that is when, but um, in terms of when to apply to our business, it um, evolved as we consult clients. You know, we, we notice that clients always come in and have an idea already what's in their head about what it is that they want their business to do. And for us, our job increasingly becomes, okay, how do we get that and put it into paper or how do we put it into the space? Mm -hmm. So story, um, yeah, very important to me since my work. And also increasingly, as we consult, I see it's important to the work as well. Where do you get your inspiration from? Uh, movies, films, um, Movies, films, and there's one more. TV. Uh, I don't watch TV. <laughs> I mean, movies, TV. films, and Reddit. And what? Reddit. 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 Reddit is yeah. a website. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, it's just random shit. Um, but every time I go up there, there's something interesting. You know, when I think about design, um, interior design specifically you know, and fashion, things, you know, have cycles and they come back, right? But is there ever a time, I think in, I'm, I mean, I'm asking you in Vietnam now, do you think that um, we're able to, you, your, your, your group, will be able to come up with stories or a sense of um, design that goes beyond the cycles? You know, like bell bottoms were 70s and, you know, you have yeah. So things like repeat, but do you think you can ever move beyond that and sort of like have something completely out of the box and not repeat a cycle in Vietnam? Mm. Uh, I think that's uh, that's El Dorado, right? That's a quest that every designer is 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 uh, is on. They're trying to design something that will outlast them, you know, that will be here for a long ass time that they will quote in a design school. <laughs> That's a quest that everybody's on, and I'm I'm not sure uh, I will ever get there, right? 
Yeah. Um, but on a personal level, um, I try to sidestep that whole cyclical thing by not doing trendy shit. Um, so if I see something that's on Instagram, I try to get my team not to do that thing. To avoid it, um, yeah. Like I said, I'm always trying to design as a response to something. So if I see something that's very popular, I would probably not do that anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would just try to tell the story of the brand. Uh, if it's true to the brand, it's true to the owner, it's probably going to last a while. Like, for example, there was something that I love uh, working with you for, Rock and Taco, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like we did something that, you know, we thought it looked good you know, from a designer's point of view, but you said, hey, it looks cool, but it's not me. And, you know, I, I cannot get my team to, to buy into this because it's right. just not. And for me, that's cool because, like, who are we to tell you what right. you are? Right. right. And, you know, I love that. And that's how I try to do with most of the work as well. Is it true to the people who's going to run it? Not true to the designer who may not even be at the lab you know, right. next year. Right. You know, right. it's I like that, that. guy. Yeah. Did it. yeah. For me, it's, I, yeah. So I'm on that quest. I don't know if I'll ever get there. Um, on a personal level, I try not to do trendy stuff anyways. Yeah. yeah. And that keeps you out of hot water. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the filmmakers that we know um, that are successful, whether it's in Vietnam or the US or whatever, that's another you know, they, they follow that, that, that idea is, you know, you, you want to stay away from all of that, uh, the trendy stuff that, that you think that will um, stay away from the trendy stuff that's out there that a lot of people think that will sell. Um, yeah. It, in fact, the things that, those are the things that will not sell. I mean, it goes, you know, in the design world, very, very yeah. parallel with the entertainment side as well. Yeah. Or it will sell very, I don't know, actually maybe, on the design side, it might sell short term, like you're on trend and people, you know, might think you are uh, cool, but it quickly fades away. So yeah. at least that's on the design side. On the entertainment side, I don't even know if it's good short term to be you, doing. Yeah. You grew up in, you grew up in LA. Did you grow up with hip hop? Oh yeah. I love hip hop. <laughs> that's the only thing I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is hip hop like in Vietnam? Oh, it's, it's booming right now. There was uh, two shows on recently called King of Rap and uh, also Rap Bit. Uh, and, you know, which Sue Boy was one of the, the guests, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's booming, man. Why, why is you it know? booming? Why is hip-hop booming in Vietnam? Why now? I think there's finally a platform. Back in the day, you know, it's underground. You are going to your meets and you are, you know, freestyling or you're doing breakdancing or whatever. But it's always like behind closed doors. Now you got brands who are paying you to rap on their commercials. You have TV shows that, you know, like kind of uncover all of these young talents. Um, you know, you have platforms like media, uh, sorry, um, Instagram and Spotify that allows you to broadcast your stuff. So I think there's just more platforms now. It's always what's been the, here. What's the difference and what are the similarities of American hip hop and Vietnamese hip hop. Sorry to put you on the spot, but these are questions. Okay, that are, I'm not an ex- expert, please. Whoever's co- listening, no, completely. But you're you're creative, and I would yeah. love to hear your mm. perspective. You know, uh, you're a late, you're you know layman who is yeah. um, a creative, and you lived in LA. You have a an yeah. urban background, and I would love to hear the difference and the yeah, similarities. I, we actually uh, did a little research book on hip hop uh, in Vietnam called Homegrown Hip Hop. It's like a hundred pages. 
um, what we found is hip hop in Vietnam is divorced from social political issues, um, a lot of social political issues, because our thesis is it didn't come from a place of oppression. Um, yes, we have censorship, but honestly, as long as you don't talk about the government, everything's fine. Uh, whereas in, in America, it was a voice of the oppressed, right? Um, so we found, we, we thought that it's a lot more entertainment focused. It's a lot more personal issues like love, like money. Uh, it's less about fighting the system or fuck the police or anything like that. So it, it doesn't have that power of, um, it doesn't have that po political power in, in the art form. So that was our main thesis. And I think the main difference between the States and Vietnam. Obviously there's craft levels, you know, Vietnam, we've only started this, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, sorry, maybe 15, 20 years. But um, States, you know, been here since the 70s, right? So, yeah. Interesting take, I would never think that, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's something, cause I, you know, you think censorship and you think, you know, that it's something that, uh, yeah. that the rappers would go near. But you're right, it's the oppression level and the yeah. US is just, I mean, it's yeah. gotten worse and, you know, worse. And, yeah. And ironically, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I feel like hip hop in the US have just gotten so commercialized. <laughs> and it just all yeah. sounds the same. <laughs> That's and true, it, too. I, I, I feel like an old man, but when you listen to hip hop today in the US, it just, you can't even understand what's going on yeah you know i think we're showing our age now <laughs> here's I these hope, days <laughs> i i hope that doesn't happen to vietnam yeah you know i hope the hip-hop stays uh relevant um for whatever it's out to achieve which yeah. I, I don't think anybody actually thinks about like you know yeah to do yeah it's just expression right yeah yeah, when I say commercialize in Vietnam, I mean like, you know, back then there weren't any money. Now there are brands throwing money behind rap, right? So you can, uh, you know, write a rap song for commercials, things like that. In terms of all the rap sound, sounding alike, I think it's, um, you know, it's a problem in Vietnam. So whatever's trendy, you know, they'll, they'll, there are some people that are going to do that. And, and do you listen to Vietnamese music? Do you consume Vietnamese entertainment? Uh, very little only in the context of like needing to understand something. For example, if I'm designing a club, I would listen to Vietnamese rap. Or if I'm uh, you know, working on a media project with one of my younger staff, then I would tell them to, hey, give me some cool uh, artists now that you're listening to or whatever. And then I would yeah. try to consume that. And but not just, my own time. Yeah, do you think it's just an age thing or a cultural difference? I mean, what do you think it is that you don't consume? I think it's an age thing. <laughs> And also, like, we're busy now, right? Like, you got families, you got your own businesses, you have your side projects, and you're expected to also follow this industry that's evolving so fast. Like, there's no time. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Back in the day when we're teenagers and we're looking through magazines, you know, XXL or Source or whatever, we know what's hot. Now, like, I don't know what's hot. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're worrying about the mechanics of your business. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Do you feel like there's a um, sort of style... Uh, when it comes to Vietnamese design today? I think so. I, I, I actually, not a, like there are a couple of schools. I think there are people who really buy into the, like the eco-friendly 
uh, design movement, which I think is great. But it does look the same because they're using techniques and materials that are reminiscent of, let's say, Bajongmi, right? Very famous architect. He used can bamboos. You, can you say that again? Bajongmi. So, you know, he uses like bamboos and things like that. And there are people who are following, you know, Japanese design who are designing a certain uh, style, like using bricks and using concrete. Um, and then there are people who are following kind of cool hip hop uh, styles, like, uh, you know, this brand called uh, Gentle Monster. No, I'm not. The glasses brand, but they're very famous for their um, retail installation. So a lot of designers also follow that. Um, there's a lot of schools. Yeah. Uh, when we've all first come to Vietnam in, in the 2000s or in even late 90s, some of us, you, you, you came back to Vietnam and there's a certain feeling that you got from the French colonial, that the, the buildings that were left over. Um, there was this distinct feeling and then you start to learn about the history and it just isn't, didn't yeah. sit well, right? Yeah. But you still felt like that was very Vietnam, right? Yeah. It felt very Vietnam. I feel like when you go back to Vietnam now, there's so many different influences from all over the world. Um, people yeah. like you have brought in designs from all over and you bring up Japanese and you bring up uh, all of these schools. But is there something that is going to be uniquely Vietnamese or is it gonna be this hodgepodge of cultures that doesn't distinguish Vietnam anymore? Yeah, I hope we still retain our identity. Uh, I hope we retain that conflicted identity because I, I think it's valuable in terms of history and also or honestly speaking at the rate Saigon is, is uh, changing and uh, developing. It's just a force of, of time, man. It's just like, you, like I look out my window and it's like hmm. glass and concrete, just buildings, buildings, buildings. And I don't know any force that's going to be able to stop that. Um, right, right. Yeah. Are there any subcultures in Vietnam that you, um, that you track, that you follow, that you're part of? Um, there's like a... There's like a few uh, F&B small business guys who kind of like congregate around, you know, these restaurants that pop up, like the Quinn's, the NN, the Rencon, uh, the Bowsy. Like we'll hang out together and we'll know each other and stuff and support each other. So there's kind of that, kind of like small business owners. Um, there's also uh, like artists and designers, people who work at, you know, the Rice, the Lab, people who work at companies that value creativity, like Pizza for Peace. Uh, advertising agencies, there's that group that I also hang out with. Mm -hmm. um, I also just from from afar admire and uh, appreciate the uh, the musicians, like you know the Kiwis, the uh, the Sioux Boys and stuff like that. That circle, yeah, from afar. Yeah, they're definitely blazing the trail and yeah. doing a lot of work. Yeah, I've yeah. always had so much love and respect for for all of the musicians that, uh, you know, Suboy and, and all of the yeah. people that are constantly yeah. pushing. It, it can be easy, I think, what they're doing right now. Like, you know. Yeah. So it's good that they're actually achieving some stuff. Do you do any work for um, clients outside of Vietnam now? Uh, so 
our last client out of Vietnam was Myanmar. Hmm. Um, where else? Uh, we do some work out of uh, Facebook Singapore. So Facebook Singapore and also Facebook Palo Alto uh, through an agency in, uh, in LA outsourced their work to us in Vietnam. Right. What else? Yeah, I think uh, Singapore, uh, America, and Myanmar last week. Well, all the work that you've done sounds very exciting. And thank you to, you know, for sharing all of this stuff today with me. Um, we'll check back in after this whole COVID dies down next year. And um, I wish you and Laura the best 2021 and um, hope to see things even progress even further than what you've done so far. Yeah. Thank you for having me, guys. Like I, I looked at um, uh, East and uh, at least on the branding side and uh, and the things that you are talking about today. I think it's super important to Vietnam. I'm sure it has value in the States as well, but I think to Vietnam, it's very important to tell different stories about Vietnam because I think there's a lot of stories about how Vietnam is growing and blah, blah, blah. But um you know, like all these different perspectives that you guys are bringing through East is really dope. And uh, I hope to see more of that. We, we appreciate that. And I think the, the one thing that just unites us all is our love for, for our motherland, right? Our yeah. Love for Vietnam. I mean, it's a, it, it's, yeah. a, it's, we can't even describe the love for, for, for our people, for where we come yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah. The stories that uh, unite us. And again, thank you so much for sharing. And I hope um, we can, Get back to this uh, again very soon and hopefully doing it doing it in person yeah likewise all right Tuan, take care of yourself and uh, i'll talk Thanks to you back soon. okay see you all bye right. take care see ya. thank you for listening to the vietnamese with kenneth win the vietnamese is produced by Brittany tran and javier proenza special thanks to jane win catherine win tina fam sydney jamie and crystal trin Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.